0: That's actually a very good song, Be Thou My Vision, to begin today's message. I have titled today's message, um, The Impact of a Spirit-Filled Society. But another way to title this message is definitely Be Thou My Vision. That was the prayer of the early church, and that was the pattern of the early church, was that Jesus was preeminent. That is why we often say, as the scriptures do, that in all things, He may have the preeminence. That is why we meet the way we do, because we use the New Testament church as a pattern and example. To us, And I'm thankful for that. Um, today we will be uh, taking a microscope, so to speak, to a fairly short passage of Scripture. I'm uh, trying to get better at realizing that as we go through uh, these important Scriptures that it's not speed that counts, but thoroughness. And I really want to be led by the Spirit to um, give uh, some good, concrete thoughts for us to be challenged by. So if we could open in a word of prayer, that would be good. Heavenly Father, Lord, we lift up this time to you. and We ask that you would be honored and glorified. Lord, I ask that the thoughts of my heart and the thoughts of my mind and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Redeemer, and that would come forth from my lips um, as your willing servant. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we will be looking at Acts 2.42, 2.47, Acts 2, 42 to 47, um, as I looked at the passage, I, originally I was thinking, well, uh, maybe I would do a longer passage, but then I was like, um, there's a good stopping point at, at the end of 47, so I'm going to um, spend time in these verses. And as I said, the uh, title is The Impact of a Spirit-Filled Society. And the first, want, the first point that I want to make to you today is the disciples' wholehearted dedication to Jesus gave them power. If you know anything about their, our society today in Western culture, and particularly in the United States of America, it is very popular still, and in some ways I'm thankful for this, but it's very popular to say, God bless you. Or to say I, or to say, I'm thankful to God for my blessings. After every presidential speech that I've ever seen, whether the president was one who was in accord with biblical principles or not, they would say things like, "God bless you all and God bless the United States of America." That's the way the president often ends his speeches. And I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, one thing you notice about our culture today is they often don't mention the name of Jesus. And we just had the college football national championship. And I'm thankful that on Clemson, who won, we had a head coach, Dabo Sweeney, and a quarterback, I believe his name is Trevor Lawrence, both of whom in their post-game press conferences gave thanks to Jesus Christ for the talents that he gave them and acknowledged that without him, they would not have had the opportunities they've been given. And so I was very gratified to know that, gratified by their humility and Grateful that they beat Alabama. Let's just put that out there. Uh, But anyway, getting back to our message, Jesus is the central focus here. Because without Jesus, there would be no power. Let's look at the uh, first two verses. Um, And they continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Now remember, Jesus said while he was still on earth, Greater things than the things you have seen me do, will ye do. And how were they to do that? Only by the power of God. But first of all, I want to look, specifically honing in on the first part of this, the four things that they focused on in the early church, the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking of Bread, and Prayers. So if we could first look at the Apostles' Doctrine, What does that refer to? It refers to very specific teachings that Jesus gave. And Paul would reinforce this by saying, if anyone gives you another gospel, then that gospel which has already been preached to you by me, let him be accursed. Was Paul saying this because he had an ego trip? Absolutely not. Well, Paul was saying that was that I have been given the gospel and I delivered it faithfully unto you and it's the truth. So if someone tells you differently, don't follow them. And uh, he even goes into detail when some people say I am of Paul, others say I am of Apollos. He says, remember, we are all of Christ. That is the important thing. So let's look, by way of cross-reference, on this first point of the Apostles' Doctrine. Let's look at Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20. If someone could read that for us, that would be amazing. Go we therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with thee always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I want to make a, co- a couple comments here, and that first of all, is that I think we do a good job of focusing on the first part of that commission, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. But then the second half of that commission, I feel like sometimes we drop off. Because what does the second part say? It says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So it goes beyond simply just getting people into the fold. It also has to do with discipling them showing how a Christian should live. And today I feel like there's a lot of baby Christians who aren't getting fed properly. And we're not talking about serious issues that we need to talk about. The Bible talks about desiring the sincere milk of the word that you will grow thereby, but then it says that you would progress to meet That it wouldn't just be something where you'd be drinking milk all the time. Babies, when they're first born, all they do is drink milk, whether from their mothers or other sources, and sleep and need their diaper changed. That's what they need. That's why Peter said, Desire the sincere milk of the word. But then later on we're told to dig into the meat. I think it's important that we do that and I think it's important that we share with others all of Christ's commands. You know, sometimes people say, well, Jesus didn't say anything against homosexual marriage. Yes, he did. Because what did he say about marriage? He said, for this cause shall a man leave his mother and father to be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Jesus said, at the beginning, God made them male and female, both separate and distinct, but equal parts of his cherished creation. And now we have people who don't know who they are because they've forgotten whose they are. We need to continue to contend for the faith, as Jude says. Okay, so the apostles' doctrine is everything laid out by Jesus and the things that the Holy Spirit would reveal, because Jesus said the Holy Spirit's coming to guide you into all truth. And there was a boldness about these disciples. Remember, these were the same disciples that it says they all forsook him and fled. And yet, now in the book of Acts, here they are going forth in power. We will read later that they turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. That's the kind of believer I want to be. That's the kind of mark I want to leave. Because that's where the power is, that's where the hope is. You're looking for hope? In any other place, then you're looking in the wrong place. Okay, so they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine and fellowship. It's so important that we have fellowship one with another. I'm so glad that um, you guys have fellowship meals a couple times a month. And sometimes I'm privileged to be here on those Sundays such a refreshing thing. It's refreshing to have lunch with um, my fellow believers after church when I come here to Holland. We usually go to the Grand King China Buffet and you're all welcome. It's a great time of fellowship. But the point being that we need each other. A lot of times we can follow the world's advice to look out for number one and to n- not consider others. But the Bible says to consider others better than ourselves. The Bible says that if two are walking together, one can help them up when they fall. We need each other. So can we look at 1 John 1, seven? 1 John seven. 1, And we'll see how important fellowship is to God. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship (coughs) one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. What is going to be a characteristic if we're walking in the light? We're going to have fellowship one with another. If we're not in fellowship with our fellow believers, we should check ourselves. Because if we're far from God, it's not Him that moved. My dad tells me that, and this story stuck in my mind about a poster that he saw. I forget where he saw it, but he saw this poster. He said, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? And I think of that to this day. It's stuck in my head as a good word picture. That if I'm feeling far from God, it's not God who moved. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He didn't say, I may leave you sometimes. He says, I won't leave you. And Jesus himself said, I will not leave you comfortless. But the comforter will come, as we have already talked about. So fellowship is an important part. Then, the breaking of bread. They continued in the breaking of bread. And uh, I really appreciate uh, being able to break bread every week. It's a great way to renew my focus, my commitment to God, my commitment to His children, my family in the Lord. I still remember the first week that I went to a Brethren Assembly, and um, well, I I have been to a Brethren Assembly previously, but the first week that we went to uh, Grace and Truth Christian Fellowship back in 1996, I didn't understand the Brethren distinctive of having the Lord's Table every Sunday, so we got there and we're sitting down, and I see the elements on the table, and I'm like, oh, it must be Communion Sunday. Because in the Baptist church where I grew up, we had Communion every month. And the next Sunday we come back, and Communion's there again, and I'm like, what's going on here? I've never had Communion two Sundays in a row. And at first I, I kind of was afraid that it would become a ritual, and that it wouldn't be good to do it every week, just because... I was raised on them once a month, but now I look forward to the breaking of bread with great anticipation every Sunday morning. It's a great way to begin the week. Can we look at 1 Corinthians 11 23 to 28? Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. to Do this whenever you drink yet in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes
1: you notice in
0: this passage, and, 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 I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm 999 I'm to 100% sure that God never says the duration or the specificity, specificity of how often you are to drink the cup and take the bread. He only says, whenever you do it, you remember the Lord's death till he comes. Remember in the Old Testament, all the times when he said, I am the Lord, your God, who took you out of Egypt? Um, That's probably one of the most repeated verses in all the Bible, because it's in almost every chapter of the first five books of the Bible. Why? Because the children of Israel were a forgetful people, and if the children of Israel were God's chosen people, who saw so many physical manifestations of God's grace through the ten plagues, and things like that, how much more can we Gentiles say that we ourselves are forgetful people? And so God instituted the Lord's table and told us, whenever you take it, you remember me. He never said an amount. I remember watching on TV and I heard a testimony from a lady Who said she started every day with communion? Now, at first, again, I thought that was kind of strange, but again, it comes down to motives. If your motives are correct, then I think that can be a very powerful thing. So, um, breaking of bread was important. It was one of the core things that the early church was known for. And then in prayers. Prayer is so important. It's not as many as some people say, a last resort. It's not just a phrase to say. This is another thing that the secular world is good at. They'll say, Our prayers are with you. I find it interesting. I don't know if it was last year or if it was 2017 when there was really bad hurricane headed to Florida. And we got down on our knees, I know in my church and several churches around the country, and we beseeched the Lord that he would stay his hand and that it wouldn't be as bad as they were projecting because they showed this radar image of the hurricane and it was basically stretching above and beyond the entire length of the state of Florida. So it could have wiped everything out. And we prayed and we prayed and we asked God for His mercy. And God showed His mercy. And the next day, all those people in the secular media who were saying our prayers are with Florida were saying, well, boy, they were lucky. They dodged the big one. My friends, luck had nothing to do with it. God says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, and that's exactly what happened. Now that's not to say that devastation didn't happen. There were many people that were still devastated, but the fact that it did not do the magnitude of damage that it was projected to do is directly related to the prayers of God's people. I know that absolutely and without doubt. So, can we look at Philippians 4? 6 and 7, for more on prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, there was great power in the prayer. And it says in this 43rd verse, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. What happens before every miracle in the Bible? A prayer. We will begin next time to talk about the layman, who was lame for 40 years, so I won't spend a lot of time talking about it, but but Peter never took credit for that. He said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. That was the power. And I look at this verse in verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done by the apostles perhaps part of this fear was what motivated the leaders of the day to say, we need to end this. We need to stop these people. Because they saw real power. They knew real power and they saw it. So our first point, the disciples' wholehearted dedication to Jesus gave them power <coughs> When I first met Mr. Hudson Taylor in London in 1887, I expected to see a man with a black beard and a full round voice. Instead, I found him a little man with a blonde beard and a quiet gentle voice. I immediately concluded that his power was not in his personality, but rather in God. As the years of my acquaintance lengthened out, this conclusion was increasingly confirmed. To the end of his life, he won great victories with God and over men, but the secret was always communion with his Father in Heaven. Henry W. Frost in the book China's Millions. If you want power to emanate from your life, it has to be focused on God. Like the plug plugging into the outlet, This past week I had one day where I woke up and I realized that my wheelchair was not plugged in. And so, because I use my chair a lot, and uses a lot of battery power at my job, I prayed the whole day that I wouldn't go dead because it hadn't been plugged in. They didn't have a chance to charge because it wasn't plugged into the power source. We need to be plugged into the power source and that power source is God and His Holy Spirit and the way that we feed on Him and get to know Him is that this word becomes more needful than our necessary food. That's where the power is. So, our second point. The disciples were known for generosity. I find it very interesting that the world has this idea that we need to be generous with others, so that means that our taxes need to be raised so that the government can be generous with our money. Yet whenever Christian organizations are generous and try to spread the love of Jesus through their generosity, they get complained about, maligned. And even downright shunned in the media. I've heard story after story about prisons that want to shut down Bible based prison programs, but you know what? The only way to keep someone out of prison for good, the only sure way, I should say, because there are non Christians that, at least as far as the world is concerned, write their path and stay out of prison. But the only real, true, ironclad way to stay out of prison is through the power of the Word of God. And the power of the God who wrote the Word. Psalm 119, verse 109 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your Word. So, Let's look at verses 44 and 45. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, some people look at this and they say, well, this was socialism. This was communism. But see, no, they weren't motivated by a corrupt government. They were not motivated by a a societal, just a simple societal expectation. And there's no numbers mentioned here. There's no, you have to give this much, everybody has to give this much. No. But it was just, we know that we have needs in our midst, and let's give to make sure they're met. And one of my biggest burdens as I've begun ministry 10 years ago is the fact that a lot of the government programs that we have today are because the church said we're no longer going to do this. We're no longer going to care for widows in their need. We're no longer going to care for those who who, who lose their job or who are down on their luck. We're no longer going to... um, visit the elderly. The Bible says that pure religion and undefiled as this, is to visit the fatherless and the widow and keep oneself unspotted from the world. That is the main church program with which we should be concerned. Not a bigger sanctuary, not a gym, not our young people's group or our Twenty something group or our college and career, but with the fatherless and the widow. If we can look at first John three 1 John three seventeen. 1 John 3, 17. are not generous, if we are not sharing with others, if we are not meeting the needs of others around us, the love of God isn't dwelling in us. I used to think, as many people do, that if, if I had more money, then I would give. But I came to realize over the last few years that unless I develop a pattern of giving now, well, I have far less means than I hope for. I will never give if I have what the world would consider true wealth. Giving isn't dependent on what you have. It's dependent on who gave it to you. When the widow put her two mites into the treasury, God never her back. Jesus never called her back and gave it back to her. He said this woman has given a great gift for you have given out of your abundance but she has given out of all that she has. I found this interesting story that puts giving really in perspective too, A little girl told an older friend that she was going to give her papa a pair of slippers for his birthday. Where will you get your money? asked the friend. She opened her eyes wide and said, Why, father will give me the money. For a moment, the friend was silent as she thought that the father would buy his own birthday present. And the father loved the little girl and appreciated the gift, even though he paid for it himself. We have nothing of our own to give to God. Just as this little girl would get the money from her father to buy the slippers for his birthday, everything that we have to give to others comes from God. James said, Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. we start to believe that we have done something amazing, then perhaps God may say to us, as he said to the rich man in his barns, tonight thy soul shall be required of you. The Proverbs say, do not even riches make themselves wings and fly away. It's not about the amount of money. This isn't an indictment on wealth either, because... The West Michigan area has been benefited by the generosity of many wealthy Christians. But it's just to remind us to keep things in perspective. This third point I think is also very important. So our first two points were the disciples' wholehearted dedication to Jesus gave them power. Second point was the disciples were known for generosity. The third point is the disciples' unity led to favor, and we need to have unity as a body of believers. Acts two forty six and forty seven says, "And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness." and singleness of heart. I'll tell you, when I'm I'm around believers that are passionate about Jesus like I am, there's a gladness and a singleness of heart that cannot be matched. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Daily, he was adding to the church those who should be saved. Why? Because they saw unity in the early church. What was it that Jesus said? He said, they'll know you're my disciples. Why? Because of your love for one another. Peter, in his four keys to success... For the Christian life, one of those is love the brotherhood. It's great that we have a brotherhood that we call... I love that in uh, the brethren assemblies we call each other brother and sister. Because that is truly what we are to one another. And God gave them favor. And a big part of that favor was that he was adding to the church daily those would be saved. Nothing can stand against the church. God said, Jesus said, I will build my church on this rock. He wasn't talking about Peter as that rock. He was talking about Peter's declaration that he was the son of God. That was the rock. But he said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We could look really quickly at First Corinthians 118, 1 Corinthians 118. the power of God is going through us if we believe in the cross if the cross is real to us and the power of God is available in our lives should that not be seen in our relationships the world tells me that I can't remain pure until my wedding day because that's just not an expectation the world says that I have to use coarse language because it's just something that you can't help. In the heat of the moment, it happens. The world says that abortion is okay because we're overpopulated. Because babies can be a nuisance if they're born at the wrong time of your life. But the Bible says that the power of God should make a difference in our lives. And it should show forth unity for us. There there is in South India a story of a wealthy landowner who had some very quarrelsome sons, always jealous of one another and always at strife among themselves. On his deathbed, he called them and divided his property among them. Then he called for some sticks to be brought, nicely tied for a bundle, and asked them one by one, beginning at the eldest, to break the bundle. So long as they were closely bound together, they could not break any of the sticks. Now he said to the eldest, untie the bundle and try to break the sticks. This was not difficult, and soon each of the sticks had been broken one by one, lay before them in pieces. The Father thus taught them that united they stood, divided they fall. Which is something that Abraham Lincoln echoed as he was leading America through the Civil War. He quoted Jesus when he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand I hope that this reminds us that we need to put away quarrelsome behavior from us not only in our nuclear family but in the church we need to unify around Jesus because if we unify our own Jesus we will not be broken That's why often in reference to marriage we say a cord of three strands is not easily broken because one strand is the groom, one strand is the bride, and one strand is God Almighty. And I feel like we've lost that in the church today. I can think of so many friends, people who I went to their wedding I saw them make vows before Almighty God and they throw it away. Thing is, folks, when you make a marriage vow, you're not primarily vowing to the other person. Your primary vow is to Almighty God to say that no matter what happens, I will stay with you. And I will walk through this life with you because God gave you to me. And God... Gave me that responsibility. Heavenly Father, as we end today, I just pray that you would um, reignite in us a passion for your word. A passion that often goes cold, we confess, and we do not fan the embers of it like the fire in our wood burner if we do not continually throw wood in it the flames can go out but I pray that we would burn hot for you because your flame for us never went out we read about your zeal for your father's house and you went in and turned over the tables, first in the beginning of your ministry and then in the end of your ministry, you said, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Father, forgive us for where we have allowed your word to become just humdrum to us. Help us to desire it as our necessary food. And help us to resemble the New Testament church, that great fear would fall on the world because they would see the power of God emanating through us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.